Praise God. God is good all the time, and all the time, God is good. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Well, I already mentioned to you just as a question what would happen if God did not, if Jesus did not go forth with God's plan, where would we be today? What kind of a predicament would we be in? So we know this is Resurrection Sunday, and we're so thankful for it. In moving forward today, being that this is Resurrection Sunday, um, one would expect that we go through the whole crucifixion story. Well, I'm not going to do that. We all know the story of the crucifix. We know the, the story of the crucifixion. Today, Resurrection Sunday, is about the resurrection. It's about the resurrection. So therefore, while we, as, as adults today, we know what, it, what the story was all about. We know what the events of the crucifixion were all about. So I'm more interested today in talking about what significance does it really hold. We know in our heads and we know in our hearts that Jesus died on the cross and that he was resurrected. But what does that really mean? What does that really mean to me today living here in the 21st century? It's just fascinating to think that the series of events that happened, you know, 21 centuries approximately ago actually has some impact on my life today. And many times we as Christians, you know, if anyone asks you what's the Easter story, so to speak, then every, every single one of us can say what that Easter story is all about. We can talk about the crucifixion, we talk about, about the beatings and so forth. But we want to put it into context in, in terms of what is happening today. So let's just start right after Jesus was, was arrested. Okay, and let's go to uh, Mark 15. Go to the book of Mark. Mark 15. Thank you, Jesus. Mark 15. And we just will start with verse number number seven. Mark 15, verse number seven. Old familiar name that many of us will probably remember. Not talked about too much, but uh, if you are a student of the Bible and you know, you know the events of the resurrection, then surely this name will ring a bell for you. Verse number 7 of Mark 15. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Underline, please, had committed murder. Okay, this was a bad guy. This was a bad guy who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will you that I release unto you the king of the Jews, referring to Jesus of course, of course, for he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people and uh, that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, what will you then uh, that I, uh, I shall do unto him whom you call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, crucify him, crucify him. Now, remember, just a week before that, what we call Palm Sunday, he came entering into Jerusalem and the crowd was cheering. And remember that? Now they're screaming, crucify him. Verse number 14 says, Then Pilate said unto them, Why, what evil has he done? And they cried out more exceedingly, Crucify him. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them. Underline, please, released Barabbas unto them. And delivered Jesus when he had scourged them to be crucified. Underline, delivered Jesus when he had scourged them to be crucified. I just throw this in there as a part of, of this message because you can see that what is happening today is nothing new. It happened 2,000 years ago, approximately. Here they preferred evil for good. 
Here they preferred a man who had committed murder, who was there and incited the crowd to crucify Jesus. This was a bad guy. If you, if you, if you do some research on him, you see that, that he was in and out of trouble basically all of his life. But when it came down to Pilate saying, and you see again, this was a, this was a, was a tradition, and Pilate basically said, Pilate found, found no wrong in Jesus. But he had to give it to the people since he was the one in charge. And the people had been excited by the, by, the, uh, by the high priests because they were jealous of what Jesus was doing. It was their plan, their scheme to get him to the cross in the first place, you see. So here, the crowd preferred evil over Jesus. But this had to happen. This had to happen, you see. But Jesus triumphant. triumphed. He, he was more triumphant over this evil. And we will see today, sons and daughters of God, we will see today that as this evil continues to try and roll out in this land, in this country, as we will see that it will indeed be defeated. Because we see around us every day, you pick up the newspaper, look at what's on TV, and you will see there that every day something that is wrong is considered to be right, and something that is right now is considered to be wrong. So we see that it has its place in, in biblical history. So then we move forward here, and we, we go from that time there where the crowd actually said, okay, crucify Jesus. So let us move to the cross, because again, uh, what I said, I want to get to the point where we talk about what does this resurrection really, really mean for us, okay? So we get to the cross, go to Matthew, Matthew 27. After that, we know, we know the uh, events where he, he uh, went on the road uh, to, to Golgotha. And we know the beatings that uh, occurred. We know how he was spat upon and reviled by the crowd. Matthew 27. Matthew 27, and we'll go to verse number 45. Okay. Now, at this time, don't forget, he was put up on the cross and he was mocked. You know, they gambled for his clothing at the foot of the cross and everything there. You know what was going on with that. Okay. And so then it says here in verse, verse number 45. Now, from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. From the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they had heard that said, this man calls for Elias. And straight away, one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias or Elijah will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. Underline, yielded up the ghost. This is where we see that Jesus yielded up the ghost. He gave up the ghost. They didn't take his life from him. During the three hours which darkness continued, Jesus was in agony and suffering his father's displeasure against the sin of man, for which he was now making his soul an offering. Never were there three such long hours since the day that God created man upon the earth, and it was the turning point for man's redemption and salvation. Jesus uttered the words from Psalms 22, actually, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, and Psalm 22, 1, we won't go there right now, but Psalm 22 actually says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why art thou so far from helping me and from the words of my roaring? So when Jesus was crying out, Eli, Eli, why have you forsaken me? This was the first time in the history of anything that ever existed, since time existed, that Jesus was feeling the separation from God the Father. This was the first time that he was not there with the covering of his dad. 
This was the first time that he was experienced that, experiencing that they were being separated. So he cried out with that voice. Because at that particular time, he was taking on the sin of man. Christ, just before he expired, spoke in his full strength to show that his life was not forced from him and to show that he offered himself, being the high priest as well as the sacrifice at the same time. He cried with, he cried with a loud voice and then he gave up the ghost. He was not on the cross whimpering. He was not on the cross just mealy-mouthed. He spoke boldly as he said, it is finished. We go to John 19. John 19. John 19, verse number 28. John 19, verse 28. After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled. Please underline that. Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that he that the scripture might be fulfilled, saith, I thirst. Now there was a set a set. uh, There was set a vessel full of vinegar and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it upon hyssop and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. Underline, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. So that was the the finality. This was curtained down, if you will. The Son of God went upon the cross. His physical body did indeed die. Make no mistake about it. His physical body did indeed die by the violence and the pain that it was put to. His spirit at that point was separated from his body. And so his body was left really and truly dead. His physical body was dead. It was certain that Christ did die for it was necessary that he should die. He had undertaken uh, to make himself an offering for sin. And he did it when he willingly gave up his life. So then we see also that the veil at that point in time was rent in two. And just so that you have a point in your, in your, in your uh, uh, Bibles for that, because it is indeed an important point. Let's just go to Matthew 27. Matthew chapter 27. And I'd like you to underline these things so that in future reference in times of prayer or when you're reading the Bible, that you have these points highlighted so that you can really quickly identify what was going on here. Matthew 27, verse 51. We'll start at verse 50. Matthew 27, verse 50. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. 51, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain or in two from the top to the bottom and the earth did quake and the rocks rent and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, truly, this was the son of God. I'm not going to dwell on it because I really want to get to the point where we're talking about resurrection and what it means to us. But the, the significance of that veil in that temple being torn in two. Prior to that, the temple was in three parts. There was the outer court, the inner court, and then the Holy of Holies. The Holy of Holies was the innermost court. It was the place that only the high priest could go into once a year. The Holy of Holies was so holy even that they tied a rope around the ankle of the priest as he went, the high priest went into it. Just if for some reason um, he dropped dead because of something that he may or may not have done, they could pull him out. So no one went into that. 
that curtain, that heavy curtain that was there. And if you read, if you read uh, the construction of the temple, you will see that that curtain was extremely heavy. No one could go through it. The tearing of that temple when Jesus gave up the ghost signified now there was no barrier between man and God. Another human being, another man did not have to take the sins of the congregation, of the town, of the area to go into the Holy of Holies to, to plead forgiveness. Or to, to, to put the blood on the goat and send him out of the camp. That was done. Jesus was the final sacrifice. He was the final. He, he was high priest and at the same time he was the sacrifice. So it's very significant for you to understand that now there's nothing that stands between you and God but Jesus Christ. You can get to God through Jesus Christ. It's very important for you to realize that because that is part of the reason of your salvation. We go to um, Matthew 28. Matthew 28, verse number 1. And we see here in the end of the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, came Mary Magdalene and the other Mary to see the sepulcher. And behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone from the door and sat upon it. His countenance was like lightning and his raiment white as snow. And for fear of him, the keepers did shake and became as dead men. And the angel answered and said unto the women, fear not you. Fear not ye, for I know that you seek Jesus, which was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen. Underline, please. He is not here, for he is risen. As he said, come and see the place where the Lord lay. So we see there that he was indeed resurrected. He was not where they had left him. Jesus accomplished all this and fulfilled prophecy at the same time uh, so that we could have abundant life. This is the purpose of the resurrection, so that we could have abundant life. Now, if you go to John number 10, John chapter 10, John 10, we see that John 10, verse number seven. You all know the background of how Jesus, Jesus was crucified and how he was resurrected. And now what is this? What does this really mean? How does it what does it have to do with me here in the 21st century? Then said Jesus unto them, verse number seven, sorry. Then said Jesus unto them again, verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the, the sheep did not hear them. I am the door for by me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved and I shall go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. Please underline that they may have it more abundantly. That you may have life and have it even more abundantly. You see, in his own way, the thief, the devil that would be in your life, that would be trying to, that would be trying to just pervert your, your way and take your eyes off of God, take your eyes away from Jesus, that thief would like to just come in and to just upset your whole apple cart. And, and take away your abundant life. Everything that Jesus did on the cross was indeed for the purpose of letting you have life and having life more abundantly. Jesus came so that people can have eternal life. The word abundant in the Greek is parison, meaning exceedingly, very highly, beyond measure. A quantity so abundant as to be considered considerably more than one would expect or to anticipate. This is what abundant meat means. In short, Jesus promises us a life far better than we could ever imagine. If we go to Ephesians uh, 3, let's go there real quickly. Go to Ephesians 3. Ephesians 3. Verse 
Ephesians 3, verse number 13. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulations for you, which is your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might by his Spirit in the inner man. That Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. Underline that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith. That you, that you being rooted and grounded in love, may be able to comprehend with all saints what is the breadth and length and depth and height. And to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you might be filled with the fullness of God. Underline that you might be filled with the fullness of God. So here we see that there is an intent. Here we see that there is an intent where, where God wants us to be filled with his fullness. We see here that God does not want us simply, Jesus did not go through all of this just for us to pick up and have life. Oh well, life, oh well, ho-hum, this is how it is. God intended for you to have a fullness. This is what we need to understand. Jesus said, I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Again, as I said, more abundantly means a supernatural abundance of a thing. Abundant life, however, means that refers to life in its fullness. You see, you can have an abundance of things, but what about abund abundant life? How is that different? How is that different? Before we begin to have visions of fancy, lavish homes, expensive cars, tons of money, we need to be able to pause and think about what Jesus means, what Jesus meant regarding this abundant life. This is what the resurrection is all about, and this is what I want you to really grasp. Jesus went through all of this on the cross and died and then victoriously arose so that we can have abundant life. But when we say abundant, nine out of ten times we think of abundant as meaning material things. We think of abundant as meaning material things. We think of abundant as meaning a fat bank account, having a fancy car, being able to pick up and fly from coast to coast or go to Europe or whatever it is that you want to do. Abundance means having, having things. God had an entirely different, different slant on that. The Bible tells us that wealth, prestige, position, and power in this world are not necessarily God's priorities for us. They're not necessarily God's priorities. The Word of God says that the love of money is the very root of evil. Not that money is the root of evil, but the love of money is the root of evil. So if you're just after love, love, the love of money and everything you think about is seeking, seeking material things and whatnot, then you're greatly missing what it is that God has in store for you. Biblically speaking, abundant life does not consist of material things. And if that were the case, Jesus would have been the wealthiest man on this planet. But the opposite is true. You know, the scripture says that Jesus didn't even have a house. Jesus did not have a house. In Matthew 8.20, it says that the foxes have a place to, I'm paraphrasing, the, plot, the foxes have a place to go, but the man, the son of man, has no place to lay his head. So Jesus never owned any property, but yet still he was abundantly wealthy. So abundance then, first of all, abundance is spiritual abundance. It's spiritual abundance. And if you are living spiritually, a spiritually abundant life, then everything else will fall into place. And we know for a fact that, 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 that our, um, uh, material abundance does not really help us for, for, for peace and joy in this life. You look at those that are in Hollywood, you look at those that are, are multi-billionaires and so forth, and how happy are they really, really in life. Married umpteen times, have all, all, every single problem in the world that's going on, but they have all, the, all these material things. But what joy in life does it bring them? So when Jesus died for us and resurrected for us, it was to have abundant life, and it was referring to spiritual abundance. 
We see that Solomon, of course, uh, had all the material blessings. You all know how rich Solomon was. And what did Solomon pray for? He prayed for wisdom. And God said, because of the fact that you asked me for wisdom, I will indeed bless you with material things. So we're talking about the spiritual aspects here. Secondly, eternal life, the life of a Christian, the life that a Christian should be truly concerned with, is not determined by the length of life, but a relationship with God. So it's not a matter of here how long you live. It's not a matter about how long you live in your physical body here on this earth, but what kind of relationship do you have with God during the time that you're here? Every single person in this sanctuary, you are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. That's the, the, the as uh, theology would call it, a, a tripartite being. Three parts. You are a spirit, you have a soul, and you live in a body. Your soul is your personality, your intellect, it's your emotions. The true you is your spirit, and of course the body is obvious. So you don't know what the real me looks like. I don't know what the real you looks like. But I will say this to you, and you need to really understand this, that this tent, as the word of God refers to as a tent, this physical body that we are living in, it has an expiration date. You know how you see those sell-by dates on the cans and on the boxes? Your body has an expiration date. Thank God we don't know when, when it is. I don't care to know. Okay, but we all have an expiration date. But that's not what's important. Because after that expiration date and this tent, or as the word of God refers to it as a tabernacle, as this tabernacle dies, the true you goes on into eternal life. And that's what you need to be concerned about. Okay? When Jesus said that I come to you may have an abundant life, that abundant life also included that eternal life. But while you are here, how are you living that life? What, what, um, uh, with what spiritual quality are you living that life? With what, with, with what spiritual um, effervescence, with what spiritual uh, uh, get up and go, with what spiritual enthusiasm are you living that life? Or are you existing in this temporary thing with an expiration date as the clock is ticking away and you're just wasting, you're wasting, you're wasting your time here? Are you more focused on the material things of life, the things that I can attain, the things that I can get, the things that I can gather, rather than really living this abundant spiritual life, with it, which is what the scripture was really talking about? If the scripture was talking about having abundant life, then why did not Jesus have homes and all this other fancy material things? You see, you see, but we as Christians, we as children of God, we often miss what God is talking about. We often miss that miss because we try to um, automatically uh, gravitate towards or latch on to things that we can readily understand. And to us, abundance means plenty. It means having a lot. It means having 40 acres. A mule. <laughs> Or 150 or whatever, okay? But what about the spiritual, these spiritual things of life, okay? Where would we be if Jesus had not gone to the cross? Finally, a Christian's life revolves around growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This teaches us that the abundant life is a continual process of learning, practicing, and maturing, as well as, as failing, as well as recovering, as well as adjusting, as well as enduring and overcoming. So how much are you really seeking to grow in Christ? You know, when we are in school and everything and you are really strive to, 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 uh, to master a particular class that you're taking. I know when I was in school and I was in a particular subject matter, it was giving me trouble. I mean, I studied on it. I did research and I tried my best to master that particular thing. 
You know, we try to master things that in life that we can understand. But when it comes down to the things of God, do we really, really strive to grow? Or do we think that me going, my going to church, you know, once on Sunday, once a week on Sunday for a couple of hours, don't even open my Bible during the course of the week, never crack my Bible. I never go back and never look at the things that are underlined in my Bible because I don't have nothing underlined. I never read my word. I don't have my own personal Bible because my personal Bible would mean then that I have to I have to do something with it. Okay, when you were in school, you didn't have a textbook that you shared with 30 people. You had your own particular textbook and you were free to mark it up and to do what you wanted with it. Well, it's the same with the word of God. Are you seeking to grow? Are you really, really trying to, or are you just kind of sitting there just, okay, it's Sunday. Time for me to get up and go to church. Okay, I'll go to church. I'll sit for, I'll sing a few songs. Not even put myself into the songs. I'll sing a few songs and just kind of sit there and look at my watch. Next thing you know, two hours are over. It's time to go. But what about after you go and you talk about abundant life? And then the things of life come up, rise up in your life that choke you and struggle and make you struggle and get you so anxious. What are you doing to grow in God? The same way you try to grow in the subject matter that you had in your school and classes. Why do you not do that with God? Jesus gave his life so that we could have that abundant life. The abundant life is spiritual knowledge. It's spiritual growth. It's maturing. One day, one day, one day, we will see God face to face. One day. You'll see God face to face and we will know him completely as well as be known completely. We will no longer struggle with sin and doubt. This will be the ultimate fulfilled abundant life. Now, just think about that also. Abundant life. Abundant life means that you don't have to worry. Abundant life means that you don't have to carry burdens. Abundant life means that you do not have to be concerned about the next day or where my paycheck is going to come from. How am I going to pay the rent, the mortgage? Um, how am I going to keep my husband? How am I going to keep my wife? How am I going to keep my children? How am I going to raise my children? I need a bigger house. You, you don't have to worry about those things. You see? Part of the abundant life was making it so that Jesus said that, that when I go back to the Father, guess what? If you confess my name, if you come unto me and make me your Lord, make me your Savior, guess what? I will come into your life. I will come into your heart. I will come into you and I will abide with you. And then Jesus said also that after I go, part of, of Jesus' contract was after I go back to the Father, which he had to do. He couldn't do it while he was here. But after I go back to the Father, that I'm going to send somebody even to work with you, to be with you, to comfort you in a time of grief. I'm going to give you someone to guide you where you don't know everything that needs to know. But my Holy Spirit does know. My Holy Spirit knows what's coming down the pike. My Holy Spirit knows what your boss is going to say when he calls you into the office. My Holy Spirit knows, knows where there's an open position for you, where there's going to be a better position. position. My Holy Spirit can guide you. My Holy Spirit can, 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 can. This is the abundant life that Jesus intended for us. You see? But we overlook that. We overlook that. Okay? All right, all right. And, 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 and you see, and at this time that we will see him, him face to face, God will look back and will reflect with us and you will know, you know, where you should have gone, where you could have gone, the mistakes that you made and so forth. And God will make a judgment call. Although we are naturally desirous of material things as Christians, our perspective on life must be changed by the renewing of our minds. Go to Romans. Romans 12. The problem is, is that we get caught up so much in our day-to-day activities. All of us have a routine of some sort. We go home, we eat dinner, whatever time you turn in, 
lay out your clothes for the night before you turn in. At least I do. Anyway, I lay out my clothes before I go to bed. It's been a habit since I've had since I don't know how many years when I was working. Because when I got up in the mornings, I didn't have time to go finding my suit or tie or shirt, you know, or socks. And so I always laid it out beforehand. And I still do that. You lay out this part of your routine and so forth. And then you go to bed. Then you get up and you go to work. You get up and go to, you, you go to work. Maybe you take a moment to pray. Maybe you, maybe you take a moment to crack your Bible and read a few scriptures. Maybe on the drive to work, you've got a Christian station on or maybe a podcast plugged on your thing there. Maybe listening to Genesis 1, woohoo, <laughs> okay, on one of the podcasts or whatever. But you're listening to the word of God on your drive to work or ride to work. You get to work there and all of a sudden all sorts of things jump off, all sorts of craziness. How many times during that day when all sorts of craziness is going on and you've got something before you that really seems to be like a hair puller, how many times do you try to, do you just ease away and get away someplace where you can pray? Okay? One place that's safe, I'll be honest with you, is the, is the men's or ladies' room. Nobody's going to follow you in there. If things are that bad and you don't have a door on your cubicle to close, you have no way of getting away, go to the restroom. You spend some time, get away from God, get away from the, from the turmoil that's going on in the office there, wherever you are, and you pray. This is a part of that abundant life. The abundant life that Jesus made and gave you is the, is the ability that you can do that. When he went, when he gave up the ghost, that veil in that temple was torn in two. There was nothing keeping you from God, nothing, absolutely at all. And when you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you became a special person. You now have a special relationship. You see, but you've got to change your mind. You've got to change your perspective of who you are and what your life is about. Romans 12. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here as we get down to closing here. Um, I beseech you, therefore, brethren. 12 verse 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world. Underline, please. Be not conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Underline that. High, double high, underline it. Be you transformed by the renewal of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You've got to renew your mind. You've got to change your perspective on life and as it is. You've got to change the way you think about what is important in this life. You know, you know I, I, I got to be to work on time. That's all well and good. God wants you to do everything in decency and in order. Yes, get to work on time. You follow the rules of your job. But when it comes down to following what God is saying for you to do, we just kind of don't, don't think about it. You see, because this is a spiritual thing and we can't see it. We have not made a, a, we have not made a transformation in our minds we have not renewed our minds to really understand that what you do or don't do spiritually, relating to God, relating to praying, relating to reading, we have not yet made, a, made, made that transition in our minds that what we do or do not do relative to God impacts my day-to-day life. You, 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 a lot of people just don't get that. They don't get it. They think that the stuff that we do here in church for a couple of hours, the things that comes from the book for a couple of hours, is just a, 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 a someone that just feels like talking for an hour. So you've got to make that connection in your mind that this stuff is real and it's impacting your life whether you realize it or not. The things that you do or the things that you do not do, the things that you do not think are important to God winds up impacting your life. Because while you are, are, are not focusing on God, the enemy is over there and watching and observing how you are not focusing on your God. And you left your whole left flank open. You know, if you, if you look at it from a military perspective, if you were an army and you've got these armies, these, these uh, troops around you, 
and you're not doing certain things on your right flank, then your whole right flank is open. And we don't realize that that right flank could be open because of the fact we're not praying effectively. We're not spending time with God. We're not thinking about even bringing him into the picture when there's trouble. When there's trouble in our lives, many times, do we run to God? Right? Do we think about the work that Jesus did on the cross? Do we stop and say to ourselves, wait a minute, I shouldn't be going through this. Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus was resurrected so that I may have abundant life. Abundant life means that I'm supposed to be successful in what it is that I'm trying to do. Now, it does not mean that you will not have, ever have trials and tribulations. Jesus said when you have trials and tribulations. Yes, we do. But as children of God, as who you are empowered to be, based on what Jesus did at the cross, you do not have to settle for being um, bounced around like a beach ball. You don't have to do that. You can stand up. You see, so we have to think about changing our minds and renewing our minds. Just as we become new creations when we come to Christ, according to 2 Corinthians 5.17, so must our understanding of abundance be transformed. You see, you became a new person. Don't try and, and figure out the, the, the physiology of how that worked when you came to the Lord, when you, gave, you confessed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, asked him into your life. Don't try to figure out how that worked in my, in, in my being, in my psyche. Just realize the fact that if you truly, truly, truly deep in your heart, and this is where it depends on you. If you truly, truly, truly deep in your heart of hearts really believe that God is who he says he is, that Jesus Christ is who he says he is, and that the whole transaction of you confessing Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, because the word of God says if you believe in your heart, says if in your heart, in your, utter, in, your, in your deepest most part, you believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God and that he died for your sins, that you are saved. If you really, really, really believe that, you have a power within your midst that you do not understand and that we as Christians seldom use. There's a power, a power in your midst. Because of what Jesus did also, there's a powerful thing. One of the most powerful parts of your body is your mouth, is your tongue. You can speak it forth. Because Jesus said, Jesus said that if you are his, that you shall be able to things that he did, you can do more and greater things. You don't realize that what Jesus did, the price that Jesus paid on the cross and his resurrection, giving you this abundant life, you have a fullness and an ability in you that can really move mountains. You see? But you've got to want to grow in God. You've got to want to grow. You know, you know, we started off when we were first married. We only had one son, Ian, there, and we lived in it. And it started off in a studio apartment. I don't know if Ian even remembers that, a little studio apartment and so forth. And we desired more, desired more. Starting out my career, Tiny was working back at the time. Started, and we desired more, we desired more, okay? We knew that as he got bigger, we'd no longer be able to stay there. And then our second son came along. We moved to a larger apartment. And then our third, third daughter, third daughter, our third child, our only daughter, came along. No, there's not three of you, sweetie. <laughs> our third child, our only daughter, came along. And we knew each step stage of the way here, birthing more kids than I got, don't worry. <laughs> you know, and as we um, and as as the family started growing and increase, we knew that we needed more space. And so we desired more. We desired more. We desired more. OK, and we moved to our first house and so on and so on. OK, but what I'm saying to you is that the same way that you desire to grow in, 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 in your day to day life, in your job, in your family, with things around you wanting to to grow and to grow. This is where you need to be in God. You need to feel in God. OK, God, I understand this. But Lord, what about this? You know? 
And I'm sure there's been million and one questions when it comes to the things of God, because God just knows so much. It's impossible for us to put our minds around everything. Day to day life and simply, simply asking God when you got a problem in your life, simply asking God, OK, God, what shall I do here? OK. All right. Or do we think about calling someone else up, calling another human being? Jesus was resurrected to give you abundant life. That means that deep spiritual realities with God. True abundant life consists of an abundance of love, of joy, peace, and the rest of the fruits of the spirits, as mentioned in, 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 uh, in Galatians. Okay, abundant life meaning, means having the, the gifts, the fruit of the spirit, not an abundance of stuff. Abundant life consists of a life that is eternal, and therefore our interest is in the eternal, not the temporal or not what is in the here and now. Paul t- tells us to set our minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. You see, you are a new creation. You're a new creature in Christ Jesus. Jesus was resurrected for you to have abundant life. So abundant life means that you shouldn't be struggling and wanting for things, but it's not geared towards the stuff. That's what you need to grasp in your mind. It means that that abundant life means that you have an abundance of spiritual growth. An abundance of remembering what the word of God says when the devil tries to come into your life to wreak havoc. When someone in the family gets sick, when all of a sudden the job blows up, when all of a sudden, you know, they're layoffs, when all of a sudden, you know, I'm looking at the gas just going up and up and up and I'm scratching my head and I'm wondering, I say, Lord, what's going to happen with this gas? Because it's really getting ridiculous. I mean, little trivial things in life. The abundant life that you have is that you do not have to sit back and just let the devil run over your existence. You do not have to sit back and just wallow and worry in sympathy and be feeling sorry for yourself. You can actually develop a way to come against and get control over your circumstances in Jesus Christ. Amen. With G- you can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens you. Praise God. I hope this message was a uh, blessing to you. And now before we close, let us prepare to honor God.